All right. So today we will put the capstone on the uh, Giza pyramid, uh, stand in on the mental plane um, for this nearly five-year series of reading raw sessions or law of one uh, sessions one through one hundred six from LNL Research in the relisten version. Today we're going to. Uh, conclude with the epilogues to book four and five. Um, I'll send the link, although I think people probably have it. There's the link. There are two epilogues here to book four and five. The one on book four is very short. The book five epilogue is much longer. Long and important comments from Jim then Carla that were written originally 13 years, 13 and a half years after session 106. So in our uh, time displacement uh, historical perspective, we just moved through <clears throat> the three, three plus years or three years of the raw material or Law of One sessions ending with session 106, March 15, 1984, uh, and now go to the epilogue which was written December 20, 1997. <clears throat> and bear in mind that's 20 years ago. And so uh, much had, much was yet to happen still with uh, Jim and Carla in those in 20 years or so before Carla died or passed over. And um, let's just conclude. So the epilogue to book four is very short and it's unindicated as to who wrote it. The quote, the, the, the statement is, after 106 sessions, <clears throat> the raw contact ended with Don Elkin's death on November 7, 1984, after a year of declining health. L&L Research no longer works with raw nor the trance state, but now channels other Confederation sources. And then there's the contact information for L&L Research in Louisville two points here. <clears throat> One is that despite Carla and some others at LNL continuing to do channeling, it's not trance channeling, sometimes called full trance channeling. Uh, they were doing conscious channeling, which um, goes through the filter of the conscious mind to a far greater degree um, than trance channeling will or does. And um, one indication of the raw contact being a full trance channel or full trance um, type of channeling is how many words raw brought in that nobody in the room knew. Um, you can say that Carla had read them somewhere in the past and forgot, but I don't think so. And so uh, a full trance channeling is marked by um, the um, removal of the conscious mind or the personal mind or even the mind complex metaphysically of the channeler. And I think Casey, Edgar Casey, is another example of a full trans channel where Ra said he was taking from the Akashic record, and which is um, a plane, a, a subset or, or um, an energy field of the astral plane in time-space. Something probably like 3.42, I would say because it's very tied into human emotion. Something like that, midway in the middle. 
So, now, then, <clears throat> um, and also the final point is that the channeling of other Confederation sources, while some people love it, uh, Hatan and Quo and Latui, uh, Fifth Density, they sound very much like Carla, or the people who were doing the channeling to me, so I never had much attraction to that, but that doesn't matter. What matters is if you find something valuable, um, go for it, and it's great. Wherever you find truth, it's good, but where one person finds important truth, I mean, I can find truth, but it may not be important to me. And same to you, you know? We find truth, but we also um, need to assess, as we do, what seems more important or relevant. <clears throat> there are countless truths, hidden matters that are being revealed even these days that any one person may rightly feel is just not important to me, to them. And um, just because it's true doesn't mean it's important. Just because it's relatively important doesn't mean it's um, deeply relevant to any one person. Uh, and even if it is relevant, it doesn't mean that it'll be relevant in the future. So, these are all fine distinctions of uh, discerning where is um, the right, you know, right focus. So there's right speech, right action. One aspect of right action is right attention, or it's, I think it's actually in the Eightfold Path from Buddhism, right attention, but it's usually in a meditative context. But there's also, these days, right attention, uh, given the uh, profusion of information, um, and I think we all do it, uh, naturally. But it is important to, to, to keep updating our um, library ordering, the ordering of our library of that to which we pay attention. Meaning what I used to value, you may, what you used to value, you may not. Um, and listening to a full lecture all the way through may not be useful either. Um, so it's okay to turn stuff off and go to something that feels more important and relevant, obviously. So now, epilogue to book five, Jim starts and says, After we move back to Louisville, the mental-emotional dysfunction which Raw spoke of concerning Don occurred. Don was noted all his life for being very cool and extremely wise, emotionally unmoved by events which caused others to fall apart. His observations and advice always proved to be correct. Now, as this dysfunction worsened, Don saw himself intensely affected by even the smallest stimuli. His worrying deepened to depression, and he sought healing counsel from every available source, yet nothing worked, and he resigned himself to a death which he saw quickly approaching. After seven months of this mental, emotional, and physical deterioration, he became unable to sleep or to eat solid foods. By November, he had lost one-third of his body weight and was experiencing intense pain. He refused further hospitalization, which we saw as the last hope for his survival. The thought of having him put into a hospital against his will was abhorrent to us, but we decided to do it and to hope for a miracle knowing of no other possible way to save Don's life at that point. When the police came to serve the warrant, a five and one-half hour standoff resulted. Don was convinced his death was imminent, and he did not want to die in a mental hospital. 
When tear gas was used to bring Don out of the house, he walked out of the back door and shot himself once through the brain. He died instantly. After his death, Carla saw him three times in waking visions, and he assured us all, he assured us that all was well and that all had occurred appropriately, even if it made no sense at all to us. So, we give praise and thanksgiving for Don's life, for his death, and for our work together. Though this book is a more personal portion of that work, we hope that you can see that the principles underlying our experiences are the same ones which underlie yours. Though expressions may vary widely, the purpose is the same, that the many portions of the one may know themselves and the one as one. Or, as Ra put it, we leave you in appreciation of the circumstances of the great illusion in which you now choose to play the pipe and timbrel and move in rhythm. We are also players upon a stage. The stage changes, the acts ring down, the lights come up once again, and throughout the grand illusion and the following and the following, there is the undergirding majesty of the one infinite creator. All is well. Nothing is lost. Go forth rejoicing in the love and the light, the peace and the power of the one infinite creator. I am Ra Adonai. This was from session 104, and I went over that, uh, the, the benedictions or closing statements of Ra, 104, 105, 106. Each one is very important, or each, um, you know, bears contemplation for reflection or deeper understanding. So I didn't personally know how bad it got for Don losing a third of his body weight if he was, you know, what, 180, he went down to 120, something like that. So he was in intense pain, um, and now I can understand much more why they uh, chose to do, to support that kind of <clears throat> mental health uh, services uh, intervention, which then brought the police, who fired tear gas, which seems like, uh, you know, <laughs> typical overkill, as uh, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, so, uh, but I wouldn't blame them for that, because, <clears throat> I mean, I don't. I didn't really before, but I can see, um, if you see somebody from 180 down to, to, you know, 120, or losing a third of their weight in intense pain, being basically in a dis in a, in a, Hard, hardened depression, um, very, very upset continually. <clears throat> um, they probably felt they couldn't handle it. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know. They didn't believe they could do any better than uh, public social services, and so they called the intervention. And um, rather than die in a mental hospital or be taken into the system, he did it himself and left. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, again the same idea. Uh, suicide is nearly always wrong action um, in all religions, in all moral systems, in most all metaphysical systems. It's almost always wrong action, but not 100%. <laughs> it's 99.99% wrong action, or, you know, nearly always, but not always, it seems to me. That's not a counsel to suicide. It's just a saying that um, what's nearly always uh, a problem is not uh, in every instance 
imaginable or manifest uh, always wrong wrong uh, wrong action and so uh, I believe what they say <clears throat> that he came back to Carla a few times and said all was well not only that all was well that all had occurred appropriately what does that mean it means that there was a certain justice to it a metaphysical importance or value to him killing himself or doing suicide you know even the phrase obviously kill himself he didn't kill himself he killed the body and um, it's nearly always wrong action but it seems in this case it wasn't why um, probably because of um, <clears throat> the 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 initiation transformation of mind body spirit that had led to this consequence or led him to that that point being being important whereby uh, it seems to me some of the deep pain he's carried he carried all his life <clears throat> and um, emotional repression and uh, the associated heart chakra blockage by his strong will and wisdom was surrendered at the end and um, so you know one can get an, an A plus um, in the last minute uh, and and be distorted all the way to the end you know grace comes or redemption or metanoia can come at any moment and um, better late than never <clears throat> and I think it's just pretty clear and so Ra's final comment Jim's uh, pulling that in here at the end from 104 is basically their their understanding of impermanence and insubstantiality the illusory dreamlike nature of manifestation and the eternity uh, of experience uh, experience is eternal um, which means uh, presence or sentience or the awareness uh, awareness of awareness um, never dies nothing is lost means nothing essential is lost obviously there's emotional loss and loss of bodies and loss of relationships and loss of um, you know <laughs> all sorts of candy you know everything is lost that is subject to impermanence <laughs> everything subject to change is lost because everything is disintegrating but um, the the unending in eternal majesty uh, glory of Godhead source is never lost and is always um, you know imminent is it is Godhead transcendent or imminent both both so transcendent not of space-time or time-space or the octaves you know much of intelligent infinity never manifest through a galactic logoi <clears throat> I mean how can you quantify infinity anyway but uh, <clears throat> uh, it, this the 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 glory of of Godhead source intelligent infinity one infinite creator um, is the true nature of all manifestation you know form is emptiness emptiness is form Mahamudra or um, you know the the nature of clear light bliss um, is the nature of phenomena and manifestation too which indeed according to our perception is subject to impermanence and is in is insubstantial it's our perception 
um, that's insubstantial. <laughs> we perceive change and insubstantiality. That perception is insubstantial also. And so uh, all of that is lost. <laughs> everything, everything conditional is lost. But the essential reality of imminent Godhead here is never lost. It can't be lost because it's, it's pre-causal. It's before causality. Carla's material. Carla says, it's long, I'll read it all fully and then come back um, and go through paragraphs. Carla said, Jim and I wished to help, wished, Jim and I have wished to open this personal material for those who feel they might find it useful because we see in our experiences a good example of the kind of stress that working in the light will produce. The more full of enlightenment the channeling received, the more enlightened the patterns of living and talking need to be. In the case of Don, Jim, and me, all of our outer behavior was correct, and it was not to be held against Don that he didn't become a talker when he got sick. He had never taken another's advice, and he did not want mine or Jim's then any more than usual. And so the tendency Don had of being paranoid bloomed, until he was sure I was no longer his love. For him, the world without me was unacceptable. Looking deeper at the timing here, it is crucial that it be seen that I was at this point weighing in at around 84 pounds, at 5'4", five 5'4". Four, five four. <clears throat> Each session was extremely hard, and yet I never flagged in my desire to continue. I was perfectly willing to die in the process of gaining these sessions' contents. Don was very worried that I would indeed die, and fussed over me continually. There was some mechanism within him which persisted in trying to figure out how to substitute himself for me in taking the brunt of the contact. He spoke about it from time to time, and I always discouraged that line of thinking, but he did just that in the end. His death ended the contact with those of Ra, and we have never been tempted to take it up again as we are following Ra's own advice not to do that except with the three of us. And since Don was gone, there was no three of them manifest. I want to express to each reader the profound feeling of peace that has come to me in the healing of my present incarnation. There will always be that part of me that wishes I could have either been able to save Don or to die with him. I think that is one valid way I could have gone then he and I would be a vastly romantic and quite dead part of L&L history. But this is not the lesson that was mine. Mine was the lesson concerning wisdom. Ra put it to me quite bluntly when he asked what my time was for going to Jerusalem. <clears throat> he was asking me whether I wanted to martyr myself. This was in the context of questions Don asked concerning the possibility of more frequent sessions my response to that was to go on my first vacation in 11 years. Don and I had adventures, not vacations. Don's lesson, when our energies and mental distortions were exchanged and merged by our talk in Georgia, was concerning the complete opening of his heart. By remaining an observer, he had not yet succeeded in unblocking that great heart of his. In his illness, he truly thought that he was dying, that I might be well and live peacefully. There is no more utter devotion and sacrifice than the giving of one's life. 
it does not matter in this context that he was dead wrong. He was never he never lost me, far from it. He lost himself. In his moment of death he was completely open of heart and uncaring of the pain of living or of leaving. Of course I have many and conflicting emotions about this, but always I am absolute in my faith that Don's ending was as noble as his life as a whole. To me, he is beyond words. I just adore that soul. My lesson was the opposite, <clears throat> that of adding wisdom to completely open love. My heart chakra is usually quite unblocked, but my sense of limits has long been shaky. The mind meld we shared at that time left me with a choice of dying for Don's sake or living for his work, for L&L research, and all we had done and been together. I did exactly what I had to do to stay in this world. It was touch and go for me for a long time. Long after Don's death, I was working the energy of death through my own mind and body, body and spirit. Through the years, I plumbed the depths of despair, anger, how dare he doubt me, grief and sorrow. I faced my own physical death and knew that the crux had come and the joy of living was still strong within me. This was during the difficult days around Christmas of 1991. I have never been in that much extremity before, not even when my kidneys failed, but my love felt never stronger. I felt as though all was being burned away, and I welcomed that. In the heat of that pain, I felt cleansing and completion. From that time, it was as if a whole new strength had poured into my frail body. As I have achieved a rise from wheelchair and hospital bed, I have felt more and more joy-filled and at the same time transparent. This is a new life I am experiencing in a new and much replenished body. Indeed, at the age of 54, I feel a grounding and balance that are solid and healthy. I am glad to be here and feel that have entered and feel that have entered into the working out of the second pattern that my divided life offers. I'm glad to be here and feel that, I think maybe that I have entered into the working out of the second pattern that my divided life offers. I bless Don's and my sad tale, and I bless all that has occurred. We loved, we were human. It seems as though we often erred, we did not, for we truly loved. Although, and though I shall always feel orphaned by his absence from my side, I embrace the wonderful things that are now mine to treasure. Jim and I are fueled constantly by the blessing of being able to carry on Don's work. Any group that stays together and works harmoniously while being of service to the light will begin to attract psychic greeting of the sorts we experienced. In this crucible, every fault and vanity, however small, is a weapon against the self. Ethical perception needs to remain very alert and cogent of issues and values being tossed around. This is a matter of life and death. LNL Research is a special and wonderful place, and not unlike many other lighthouses other wanderers and seekers have lit, many, many others are awakening now and wishing to become ever more able to be channels for light. And it is a wondrous ministry uh, to be there as a metaphysical or spiritual home for wanderers and outsiders everywhere, we hope this helps you and your group to stay in full communication, to refuse to offer each other less than joy and faith no matter what, and never, never to make a deal with the loyal opposition. 
We at L&L Research continue to keep our doors open for regular meetings, and many visitors come through our doors through the snail mail and email, and as our books continue to be spread around, those who are aware of Ra's ideas are all over the globe. And then they give the website. Our website is www.llresearch.org, and our snail mail address is L&L Research in Kentucky. We answer each piece of mail and are always glad to hear from readers old and new. Our hearts are eternally grateful for each other, for Don, for those of Ra, and the contact they shared with us. Blessings to all who read this book, and blessings to all who listen to this talk. Blessings to <laughs> all beings in all seven rays, and all 31 planes, and all three loka. Um, and this was Helen L. Research, Carla Ruckert, Carla L. Ruckert, Jim McCarty, Louisville, Kentucky, December 20, 1997. And there ends the epilogue to book five. Uh, Carla gave a very deep analysis or deep presentation of what was going on at the time and how she saw it 13 years later. Um, and so starts it by explaining um, the kind of stress that working in light produces. Um, working in light is an intensive catalyst. It doesn't have to be only a group of people channeling. can be an individual doing um, intensive spiritual practice. can be uh, a relationship, um, friends or lovers, entering a new phase of um, honest communication. Uh, stress, <clears throat> whatever stress, right? You know, what is stress? <laughs> it's obviously a physiological mind-body experience, uh, particularly associated with um, moving out of easeful harmony. It's not easy. It's not harmonious. Uh, why? Because there's some catalyst that is difficult to process <clears throat> by love, wisdom, by acceptance and understanding back towards a state of balance and harmony. Right? We're out of balance, out of harmony, out of wellness, out of ease. And, and the fully balanced entity, you know, um, is free of emotional charge. For the fully balanced entity, no situation would, would uh, trigger, would generate emotional charge. There's no emotional charge at all. And no suppression. There's no control. There's no suppression. There's no rejection. There's just ease and well-being. And emotional triggerability has ended. Emotional reactivity doesn't arise. But, you know, that's not where we're at. That's a goal. But we can go there further and further. So she felt stress, and obviously, and any group or any individual doing intensive uh, seven-ray transformation, alone or in a group, or in a, par in a partnership or anything, um, will feel this um, departure from harmony and ease um, as we uh, process the new material the higher vibratory state of the seven chakras into a stabilized new default mm, basis of seven chakra activity, of mind-body-spirit activity. And um, particularly also negative entities draw near. Uh, that also happens. But that's just more catalyst. And so she said, the more full of enlightenment the channeling received, the more intensive one seeking, the more committed to love-wisdom one is the more committed to honesty and self-revelation 
and self-healing one is, the more enlightened or more love-wisdom-based one's action and speech needs to be. The more right one's action and speech, the more right speech and the more right action needs to be as anyone, uh, alone or in group or in relationship, uh, seeks more intensely. You want trouble? <laughs> Do Sit four hours a day meditation. Sit for an hour and a half rather than 30 minutes. You'll get it. It comes up. And, you know, some people spin out on the spiritual path because they can't handle the distortion leavings or the byproducts of intensified seeking and seven chakra transformation. Um, and so she's saying that, you know, all of their outer behavior was correct. Well, I would never say that I'm ever... <laughs> I don't know how anybody could say that I'm totally... Anyone is totally correct all the time or any time because <laughs> there's always so much we don't know about ourselves. I mean, I don't, I don't know how anybody could ever say that they know themselves fully or they're in perfect love or perfect wisdom or perfect balance or perfect awakening and service. I don't know. I, don't, I can't see how anybody, and even the ones that seem to me to be, would never say that, which is an interesting point. But she's saying um, their outer behavior, all of their outer behavior was correct. It was not to be held against Don. He didn't become a talker when he got sick. You know, you can say that everything is perfect, and you can, you know, one can perceive distortions and acknowledge that distortions are perfection as well. The the identity between distortion and perfection, the identity, the uh, unity, identity, equality of uh, appearance and reality, of um, relative distortion and absolute perfection. So this is. Uh, this is in Buddhism called the two views, seeing relative and absolute simultaneously. Ross said the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Frankly, I think that may be one of the most important quotes in the whole body of 106 sessions. The physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Uh, they're not the same, but they is one. They is one, one field. And so, it, it, could it be held against Don that he didn't become a talker? Sure. Could it be seen as perfection? Yeah. <laughs> he was being himself. And so, like 2150 book says, um, every f what, what is by relative view seen as a failure or a distortion from absolute view or a higher view can be seen as a failure, success, or perfection. It's just as it ought to be. It's just, you know, complete and whole and perfect as is, in, even though from relative level perception, yeah, there's distortion. And that's, so that's the unity of distortion and perfection. So the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Distortion and perfection is inseparable. So, Don became more paranoid. Is that perfect? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look perfect to me. But um, from his higher view, he came to realize it, it is perfect. And so, distortion is perfection. Now, that sounds like tautology, but there is a point there. And that's really where this perspective is coming from is the identity between the relative and the absolute or what seems to be a distortion and its true nature as Godhead perfection. So anyway, uh, she lost a lot of weight. He lost a lot of weight. Um, she was happy to die in the process of gaining the session's content. So that's called maximal self-offering. It isn't necessarily maximal heart chakra activation, as far as I can tell. Some people don't like me to criticize anybody, you know, Don, Jim, Carla, like, 
they're perfect saints, but they have distortions. Of course, I do too, and you do too. <laughs> you know, no, they don't have distortion. Of course, and their distortions are perfection, okay? And yours are too, and so are mine. And so, but it seems to me that, that, that you know, perfectly willing to die in the process of gaining these sessions' contents is maximal service, is maximal self-offering, as far as she conceived it at the time. As far as it seems to me right now, <laughs> it's maximal self-offering. Um, is it balanced action? Well, if it's martyrdom, then no. Is it 100% heart chakra activation? Well, if there's if it's martyrdom associated with um, excess love over wisdom, deficient wisdom, then the heart chakra basis of that deficient wisdom is is, is a blockage. The there there's a heart chakra basis to deficient wisdom. The heart chakra blockage to deficient wisdom is the reason why there's deficient wisdom, because something hasn't been accepted that would then be known and and become a greater wisdom. The greater wisdom of the imbalance of martyrdom is not recognized because of a heart chakra blockage associated with second chakra blockage, associated with self-esteem issue. And, you know, <laughs> she's not a Buddha and neither am I. <laughs> and neither are you, if you hadn't noticed. And so, is that a problem? Is that problematic to talk this way? I don't think so. It's straight talk. If you don't want straight talk, this is not the place. You know, go somewhere else. So, as much as I can, I say it's straight. Just, you know, you one likes it, one doesn't like it, whatever. So it seems to me that, um, you know, martyrdom, while it seems to be the, the absolute max of self-offering of mind-body, um, to the extent that in some cases, indeed, not always, but sometimes, uh, martyrdom is imbalanced activity or deficient wisdom with excess love. But that doesn't mean perfect love. And the deficiency in wisdom, again, it seems to me, is clearly based in or associated with heart chakra blockage. <laughs> the heart chakra blockage that doesn't accept the greater wisdom that would lead one out of martyrdom. And so, uh, but I also said this uh, a while ago, that Don wanted to give himself, that Don would prefer to die over Carla, and probably did indeed um, consider at a deep mind level that suicide was right because he offered himself fully to her, just as she offered herself fully to the contact. So how about that? He gave the maximal self-offering, too, of mind-body. And even if there's a chakra blockage in there, obviously, that doesn't matter. <laughs> There's chakra blockage all over the place. That doesn't matter. But it seemed to be right action. And that's why he came back and said, all's well. And all is just appropriate. It's just right it happened this way. He wanted, you know, after a lifetime of emotional suppression, self-controlling, emotional repression, at the end he burst through it all and opened his heart, or heart chakra opened hugely, to the extent that he became completely unbalanced, and his final act was a complete self-offering of body-mind um, so that she might live. And that's that's exactly it. So she discouraged him to think that way, um, but he gave his life, his death was so that she might live. And she, I think, has that understanding. 
and so um, the two paragraphs down after that mind meld the deep sharing of spiritual transfer I think that they had in Georgia um, uh, he moved towards complete opening of his heart I wouldn't say he had complete heart chakra full 100% activation how could I even know how could she know how could you know he did or didn't if you don't don't have fifth or sixth density perception you can't say the the full metaphysics of any chakra condition you know so let's ag admit our ignorance so let's be careful meanwhile um, she's saying rightly remaining an observer but he didn't just remain an observer he had oppressed or suppressed his emotional flow I mean it's very common you know and I'm not saying it in judgment I do it you do it no <laughs> should we not point it out is there something bad with that but yeah it's not just being an observer it's it's emotional suppression it's trying to be in control that's a problem right control and love are, are antithetical they're opposite that was associated with not yet you know unblocking heart or heart chakra activation you know being blocked but he truly thought he was dying so that Carla might live and he gave himself for her and Yeshua said you know there's no greater love than to give your life for your friends to give up one's life for one's friends and so he made the maximal self-offering of body-mind just like she was how about that and and it was right even if there's still seven chakra distortion or blockages involved so there's no more utter devotion and sacrifice than giving one's life that's right that doesn't mean it's full seven chakra 100% activation and it's an achievement to yesterday and tomorrow it'll be seen as um, a need for you know further transformation so you know today's um, you know today's ceiling is tomorrow's floor and you know the the resistance ahead that we break through becomes the floor for further development but not the end of the of the work so I don't think I you know she wrote it doesn't matter that he was dead wrong I don't think he was dead wrong I think he was he was absolutely correct and that's why he came back and said um, everything's well it was appropriate I don't think he was dead wrong at all and there were and there are <laughs> chakra blockages meanwhile he made um, he he did maximal self-offering in mind body yeah I don't think he was dead wrong at all and I don't think he lost himself either <laughs> he just experienced um, a spiritual emergency a spiritual emergence a huge transformation of mind body spirit based on um, a willingness completely uh, internalized Carla he he took Carla in he um, absorbed the essence of what Carla was doing which was maximal heart chakra activation and full mind-body offering he took the whole thing in and that's massive heart chakra activation I wouldn't say he lost himself I think that he lost the false mind um, you know it's a messy end but um, I absolutely believe that they both succeeded greatly and so um, he was completely open of heart uncaring of the pain of living or of leaving but he also really wanted to he, he, he was he was absolutely right 
if if he didn't lose it at the end, she would have died young, I think. I mean, it seems like that to me. If the contacts just went on and on and on, she probably would have um, ended up dying in a hospital early, long before she did physically this life, I think. And so, um, you know, I don't see that he was dead wrong at all. Then she talks about her lesson as the opposite, that of adding wisdom to completely open love. I don't think she had completely open love. I don't think I have completely open love. If you think Carla is completely open love, how do you base that? Do you see her seven chakra energy condition? Do you see the light? Do you see the seven colors and their blending in the seventh ray unified, you know, in the summary light of the seventh ray uh, field? I don't think you do. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how anybody can say completely, fully, totally ever for me or for you. Some people don't like to hear that. Fine. <laughs> okay. I don't like to hear some things too. So, but I just don't see how anybody can say of their own development anything is complete. And and yet one's nature is complete and all and perfect. Okay. But we're talking relative view here at this point. So, but true, yeah, sure. Her work was adding wisdom to profound love. And she talked about her heart chakra usually quite unblocked. Sense of limits had not been has long been shaky. You can say that that's a wisdom issue. You can also say that that lack of sense of limit is a love issue. <laughs> is inadequate love or heart chakra blockage or two four six line blockage? It seems obvious to me, and that's why Rock kept talking about her issues of self worth, and we all do to some extent, and it's okay to talk about them. <laughs> you know, it's not a it's nothing to to worry about really. Everybody has distortions. <laughs> Not you. You do too. So all the critics, you know, people who are critical um, are really um, going the wrong direction. You know, I can be critical too. But in the end, um, looking in the mirror is a whole lot more important. You know, take, take, the, uh, take the plank out of your own eye rather than complaining about, you know, the, the, the shard in your brothers. See, Yeshua said that. That's absolutely right. You know, Buddhism is like that. So it's a critical work to keep looking in the mirror and admit um, our continuing distortions and blockages and arrogance and pride and, you know, all sorts of things. Pride is the last klesha in Buddhism, so it's inevitable. So anyway, she was working with the energy of death through her own mind-body-spirit, she says, in the years after Dawn's departure. Um, she did stay in the world. She went to a really a dark time at the Christmas of 91. Um, and then meta, had a metanoia, had a transformation, had a reversal, and um, moved back into joy and happiness and, and deep love of self and other and acceptance of what had been and Don's departure, moving out of anger uh, to him and herself, I think. And so that's great. But, you know, nobody can feel joy all the time. And if you try to feel in joy all the time, you're going to be repressing your sorrow and your grief. You know, it's it. one shouldn't try too hard. <laughs> one should try, but not too hard, I think. Anyway, um, um, she came to a deep gratitude and understanding and peace and wisdom um, with all that had happened. And that's great. She continued working all the way to the end, I'm sure. And so... Finally, uh, 
she's saying that, um, and it's true, any group that stays together works harmoniously, being of service to the light, meaning continuing strongly on the positive path. It's the same, which is really, you know, continued development of green, blue, indigo. What else is it? Continued development of green, blue, indigo. Love, wisdom, will, awareness of unity or spiritual awareness, integration, harmony, you know? Dissolution of false dualism, dissolution of uh, the you know the attachment to distortion. <laughs> distortion is not the problem. Attachment to distortion is the problem. So, <clears throat> uh, but yes, any group and any individual or any couple uh, will attract negative psychic greeting, negative attack, psychic attack. And um, yes. Every fault and vanity, it's not, it's, you know, fault and vanity equals uh, mind distortion, lower triad blockage, even imbalance of love, wisdom, green, blue. Uh, even activation of indigo in association with second, third chakra blockage. You know, linkage between six and two. Any uh, lack of perfection in the seven ray system will be um, exploitable or potentially is exploitable by negative entities attacking and seeking to dim the light. The light that is being generated by the individual, by the couple, by the group. And uh, becomes a weapon against the self or becomes a, you know, a way that we're harmed. Um, and ultimately, you know, the way of getting rid of negatives is to get rid of distortions. To get rid of, you know, to get rid of lower triad blockage is the way of eliminating negative presence in, in life. But of course, you know, if you go to certain places in the world, the negatives are congregant, and so, <laughs> all right, you can't, you you know, you may have have a lovely uh, lower triad clearance and uh, green, blue, indigo radiance, um, but if you go to certain places, uh, the negatives live there, and so that's another dynamic. But she's right, absolutely. Ethical perception needs to remain very alert and cogent of issues and values being tossed around. I don't know about tossing around, but uh, one one needs to be profoundly self-reflective um, and uh, truly responsible for every for every word and uh, every deed, and even more difficult uh, but true, more thought every every thought or perception. You know, harboring anger, harboring self-pity, harboring you know, thoughts of resentment, thoughts of injustice, it's not fair, or, or aggression to self and other, or attachment to grief and self-pity and hopelessness. Um, at the thought level, those are also exploitable by negative entities. And so it's all very complicated. Um, and uh, at the end, she's talking about many awakening now, indeed, and many wish to become channels for light, that's true. But again, my sense is uh, I don't recommend anybody to do channeling, frankly. I mean, what information do you need beyond the raw material? And Buddhism, and Ramana Maharshi, and Nityananda, and, oh, you know, a host of other great sources. You, you, want, to, you want to do better than them? Or, or are there some other reasons why you want to do channeling? You might want to look into the mirror longer, and not you, but whoever thinks that being a channel is some kind of um, essential feature of the path or is a great goal for themselves, you might want to look harder in the mirror. What are your motivations? Why? You don't have enough, you don't have enough high 
metaphysical teaching available? If there's not enough high, excellent, profound metaphysical teaching available in this world? No? Really? Or there is? Okay, there is. And you want to do better, or what? Um, it's an interesting point. <laughs> what are, what's our motivation? And so, awareness of, of deep levels of motivation is a great self-understanding. <laughs> we, all, we are all continuing that, I hope. So, um, you know, wonderfully as, as well, um, L&L remains um, a metaphysical spiritual home for wanderers and everyone else. It still is. They're having a homecoming weekend this next weekend, actually. And Gary talked to me about it, and they're doing great work. And Jim keeps the light burning with Gary and Austin and the team, the whole team there, Toby and all the people that put this together. And the new book, The Raw Contact, is excellent, actually. Um, I don't think the introduction, one of them is too good, but <clears throat> that's okay. It doesn't matter. So uh, they do great work. Um, and that's why I've stayed with this for 30 years, you know, since the late 80s. And so um, this is our last class for um, this weekly series that started at the end of 2013. Here we are approaching the end of 2018, nearly five years. Um, it's been a real blessing for me. I mean, I feel I've learned a lot and grown a lot and matured a lot and still have a long, 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 long way to go. Of course, I think I know nearly nothing, <laughs> frankly. Absolutely. And um, because I can see who's ahead of me. <laughs> I see those that are ahead of me. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm nothing compared to them. Uh, nothing in the sense of, you know, a dim light compared to those great lights. That's all. A dimmer light. And so that's what it means to be, you know, knowing nearly nothing. Certainly quantity is nearly negligible compared to what can be known. So I think... Um, there can be a true self-appraisal without aggression, without pride, without self-blame, without conceit, without, um, you know, a lack of self-worth. And, you know, truly know yourself is the essence of what Ra's sharing. You know, the law of one um, can be understood in macrocosm and microcosm. What is the essence of the raw material, the Law of One books, 106 sessions? What's the essence? Well, one of the essences, I'd say, is the principle that the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. And one must um, consider the dynamics of spiritual view to really know that, including the Law of Karma, including the perspective that all is complete and whole, all is complete and whole and perfect from the reality of the Law of One or from the reality of unity. Unity is... There is a metaphysical, there is invisible reality. That invisible reality is inseparable from physical visible reality. The conscious mind is inseparable from the unconscious mind, which is mainly veiled. It's one mind field. It's the chittakash. And the work of spirit, you know, the work of evolution of mind, body, spirit is ultimately the purification of mind so that spirit embodies. The embodiment of spirit is the, the, the union of the highest and the lowest, or the, the light in the head with the totality of embodiment. So that Godhead lives here now, and the seven 
goes from three to one. The unification of the seven to the one, um, understood primarily or initially by higher self and Atman in sixth density, the unified self is unified awareness, is uh, moving out of not of dual perception, moving out of ignorance-based consciousness to non-ignorance reality of infinite presence, unbound awareness. That's the law of one. <laughs> that's that's an, a realization of unity or realization of reality. The law of one is just a, a, a nice way of talking about laws, the, the reality of unity, which is infinity or unified infinity or infinite unity. That reality uh, is not a law. <laughs> there's, no, there's no lawgiver involved here. It's the reality of what is. And polarity is one life. So outer, inner, upper, lower, physical, non-physical, physical, metaphysical, visible, invisible, you know, past, present, future, is one life now, is one truth now, is one reality. The, the countless waves is the one ocean. And so the many is the one. The one is shown by the many. The one is not broken by the many. And perception is also um, illusory. And freedom is transperceptual, transperceptive, transconceptual. That's the law of one, <laughs> as far as I understand it, too. And spoken in quite different terms by Gautama. And, and so the law of one, heart of this book, of the teaching, is that uh, you are, the many is one, there is an endless path. The path goes on forever. Um, and everything is also totality and Godhead now. Perfection is transcendent and imminent. And self is a being of infinite worth. Because the self is one with its source. The, the identity of self is its source. Intelligent infinity is all that is. <laughs> It's the source and the true nature of the manifestation. And um, the transformation of the seven actually doesn't depend on, you know, like that we talked earlier, does not, in my view, depend on relationship. It depends on one's will to purify and perfect the seven lights. That's it. You want to perfect and purify the seven lights, the seven rays, the seven chakras, the seven fields? Can be done. It's the will to do. The strength of the light is equal or proportionate to the strength of the will to seek the light, said Ra. Another critical principle. The strength of the light, or one seven-ray radiance, is proportional or equal to the strength of one's will to seek that light. So, seek strongly, um, burn brightly. That's the law. <laughs> That's the law of one, too, as far as I can tell. And so, you become what you seek or you are what you seek, and the quality of your seeking is seeking. You know, it's not just seeking to become something. The nature of that seeking is a seeking, and the nature of that seeking, when it's um, increasingly purified, um, full, full, you know, a, a narrow band, <laughs> seeking to the perfection of the seven, um, the light grows and grows. 
until the seven becomes one. And that's the way of the law of one, too. And so, uh, words are useful. <laughs> now, you you know, you want, you want a channel? Why? <laughs> Why? I don't get it. So, anyway, um, I just want to thank anybody who's been here, and including the critics. It helps me, you know, sharpen the edge or kind of... Um, there are not that many critics, really. So, but for any critic, thank you. And I hope you're well, too. I really hope you find your, your love, <laughs> because you won't find it in anger. And you won't find happiness in, in criticism. So I really hope you find your heart love, um, which is, you know, where, our, where, the, boat, where the boat rests uh, across the ocean. So, and I thank everybody in the group here, you guys, and everybody who's been in our class for the last five years or so, um, and the, um, the assistance in time-space, all of you, um, and um, the groups that are listening in. So, <laughs> till we meet again one fine sunny day, um, thank you again. Uh, blessings to all and to Ra and to Don and Carla and Jim. Um, please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good day. <laughs>